This is actually McLuhan's window. The podcast. Uh, when we open, camera one should be on a four shot. All right. Now, what lens do you have up now? A wide angle. Coming through. Watch the boom, please. Camera two will be on a close up, right? Right. Do I have a level, please? Uh, I need some. Quiet, please. Sorry. Sorry. Now, gentlemen, we'll need a level on the voices. Uh, just identify yourselves and tell us where you're from. Uh, My name is Edgar Dale from oh. Ohio State University. <clears throat> I'm Marshall McClellan from the University of Toronto. I'm Marshall I'm Robert uh, oh. Stavis from the Annenberg School of Communications at the University of Pennsylvania. And I'm Keith Tyler from Ohio State University. What? Okay. Well, you're welcome. Well, uh, let's take it. I was going to introduce myself. Camera ready? Raise that mic a little. Communication revolution, scene one, take one. Action. We're going to discuss here for a while this whole matter of the communications revolution. And I suppose by this we mean the fact that uh, in the last few decades we've had the great rise of the uh, modern media, so-called radio, television, motion pictures, and they've had a profound impact upon our American civilization and in fact all of Western civilization. You did a nice job the other day, uh, Mr. Selvis, in kind of delineating what is involved in this, and I think this might be a very good way of beginning. So I feel this is a kind of a I silly... I don't think this Mr. Sellers is so important. As he speaks, I'd like to now dim the volume. I'm watching a video I've just learned about today, posted in May. May... Marshall McLuhan, this is 1960, 20 years before he died. I've never seen it before. It's in Ohio State University, all the intellectuals. McLuhan's there, and obviously McLuhan's just going to take over the whole thing. He always does, but let's watch I'm, Let's watch together. This guy's old guy's talking. I'm not in, I watched it once already. It's not, this, this is not important. I wouldn't, I'm not trying to deprive you. I'm not trying to say it is. I'm not trying to say what I'm saying is more important than what this old man in the. He's wearing a a black a tuxedo, perhaps. It's, it's black and white. I'm watching a black and white um, video. I'll put the link in the thing. Oh, here's McLuhan. From your own work, Mr. and you were in this field before any of us, and we've toiled along in your footsteps, as it were. I uh, do want to share, however, I'm pretty sure I share enthusiasm with someone else, which is Harold Innes, the Canadian economist. Yes, Don't you think that he phrased the essence, really, of the revolution in, you probably know the actual words that he used, of the, the uh, connection between a, an enormous change in the means of communication and a change following in society. You know, McLuhan, you might do what uh, I've known you to do, which is to characterize the former period as the print period, and the present period is the electronic period, and kind of point out what sharp distinctions you well, think are involved I, I think one of the things that happens when a new medium comes on the scene, you become aware of the basic characteristics of older media in a way that you were not 
when they were the only things around. And I think we're becoming more aware now of what print is than we were before. Radio seems to have acquired more sense of its own identity since television and movies likewise. So it, there's a great advantage in, in one way in this revolution of brought in or brought on by a, a new medium in revealing some of the earlier features of older media, making them more intelligible and more uh, useful, giving us more a sense of uh, control over them and so on. I'd like to point out, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, this is, this is my show, so I'm going to have to, I'm going to turn this down. Older forms are uh, uh, put to new uses and discover new roles. The book, for example, in our time has discovered many new functions that it never had uh, 50 or 100 years ago. It has become a very powerfully directed toward teaching people how to do, learn other things besides books, how to learn arts of many kinds. The, the book has taken on a vast new function as a, a, a means of informing people, directing people's skills in many, many areas. Mr. McLuhan, you've sometimes spoken about print as a linear. Now, uh, Suzette Langer, in her book, Psychology in a New Key, speaks of discursive and non-discursive uh, communication. How would you fit this into that uh, scheme that she has developed? Well, I think uh, people who are subjected to the arrangement of language visually in lines, uh, highly sequential and precise, rigid, develop habits of arranging their lives, arranging their whole social existence, which are very closely geared to these forms. They're not especially aware of this. Lineality, though, is not characteristic of radio or television or movies. And uh, so we have been uh, subjected to tremendous new forces, new influences, which have broken up the older habits acquired from the print world. Would you say we? We tend to think in straight lines Everyone. We still, until we break away from. We still like to speak of a following a person uh, or yes, drawing conclusions in lines. Yes. And I don't follow you, uh, or I, and I, I do follow you sort of thing. It does suggest, yes, that we think of a thought itself. But notice, notice our contemporary phrase, I dig you. Uh, this is closer, surely, to the uh, media of television, which, incidentally, uh, has had the strange effect on the young of driving into the libraries to ask for fact books. The librarians report there's a tremendous new taste in the young for fact books, not fiction. I'd like to get out of the one. Well, I mean, I was thinking the fact book is the thing that you have to dig. It's, you don't read it in a line at just a story level on a single plane. You have to dig a fact book. So now, here McClure takes they over. Take takes their over. Reading. They read in depth. But in a sense, you're saying that one of the characteristics of this revolution is that people are with things. That is to say, uh, we are communicating with so much more rapidly that we are with the events rather than uh, linearly learning about them afterward, event by event. But not a merely descriptive or narrative uh, relation or mere point of view relation. You see, if you have a point of view, you're not really with the situation. You have already abstracted an angle, an aspect as yours. Uh, in the new situation being with it, you don't have a point of view. You merely identify at all levels, your whole being. But are you saying that uh, photography and these new arts are uh, more primitive, that uh, uh, that we need to abstract less with these new media? I think they, um, the, the word primitive is misleading, perhaps, but it does suggest people who are less in the habit of abstracting single aspects, single levels, and so on, and who uh, are accustomed to a more inclusive and totally sensuous commitment to situations. Beautiful. Then, McLuhan, uh, picking up Dale's primitive, 
uh, indications are. <laughs> I love how they call him. They just call him McLuhan. You have a uh, less sophisticated general public. You said when you're with it, you no longer need have a point of view. Well, this is a complaint that's being made. People do not have their own points of view, their own specific individual approaches to things. Uh, it has been said, indeed, the mass media have that effect because we all see the same thing and so forth. You are implying there's something in their own nature that uh, that uh, reinforces this. So that uh, when uh, I mentioned the Innis Principle, there's a shift, there's a change, the Innis there's Principle. a social change that comes this in the Innis communication. I find the implication of what you say is that it's not going to be a change in favor, shall we say, of the intellect per se. Well, do we, do we have less intelligent people? For example, uh, this being with it, for example, is very uh, characteristic of dialogue. In in dialogue with somebody else, this is beautiful. you are not maintaining a fixed point of view. You are interchanging, you are interpenetrating, modifying each, uh, each, uh, each point of view of each is modified by the dialogue itself. Dialogue. You do not hold a fixed point of view, which you do in an article in a magazine. Or a book, you see. This is natural. You said you, you are saying that I, that when I'm watching a television show, and I'm speaking of an entertainment television show, <laughs> that I'm in some way engaged in it, and as I'm with well, it, and I'm, am I engaging in a dialogue with whatever's going on in front of me? The character of the television image, I think, it fosters this uh, kind of participation simply because it is a rather poor uh, image, and uh, it involves the viewer. Uh, in a great deal of completion of the detail that is missing visually in that image. The act of, of seeing television is very much that of participation. As in reading a detective story where you were very much with it because, precisely because you were not given a very much narrative information. You I'd, have like, to fill it in. I'd like to suggest that this makes the job of the intellectual and the deal harder mm -hmm. because he uh, is with all of these events. He's got mm -hmm. consciously to withdraw from them and he's going to have any time for reflection for interpretation and indeed for leadership. Otherwise, he's just a part of everything as it goes on, and he never really has, a, has time to bring out what the essence of it is. But I wonder, too, if this, these, this, these photographic processes, these new processes, aren't leading people again back to print. I've heard persons say, for example, well, take Life magazine. They started out, first of all, with a tremendous amount of photographs and shifted to more print. Uh, is it possible, Mr. Tyler, that radio huh. has caused, or, or devices such as this, has caused people really to read better? Huh. I think certainly all these media interrelate uh, to the extent to which they are uh, used consciously. One of the difficulties, of course, you mentioned radio. This is a hard one because like, radio is so much Freddie, used today. I'm working with you. I'm in your faculty. McLuhan's yes, here. Let's study. Yeah. And, and uh, busy people uh, use radio very often as a kind of a background for a lot of things that they have to do anyway. Radio, radio actually eliminates the noises or deadens the noises of the family so the children can study by it. I know this happened a long time ago. It happened before I think uh, I was aware of all the implications. Hmm. Precisely of that, uh, I, I'd like to uh, to go a little further. So I was rather superficial about Innes' uh, theory of yeah. change. This guy, power. wants all he wants to talk he about is Innes. His notion this that change in communication is bound to cause a great readjustment of all the social patterns, the educational patterns, the sources and conditions of political power, public opinion patterns will change.
But his, he got onto that track rather interestingly. You see, as an economic historian, he has been studying railways and uh, the trout fisheries, the fur trade, and uh, the politics uh, paper. Uh, he moved them from staples as forms of shaping economic life to uh, media as staples. And he began to study the new media as really basic economic resources. Wow. And uh, much uh, as, for example, cotton in the South has shaped a whole culture, now radio is shaping a global culture. It's, it's global in the, in the extent of its, resor its resource a, 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 a availability. So that we're, what would appear to be in the offing is a global culture conformable to a staple like radio as the Southern culture was conformable to cotton. Yeah, then he, but he went along the simple example that after Prince came in, the whole feudal system broke. Yes. Now, what I'm, what I'm uh, worried about, and he didn't live long enough to predict it even, is what is going to break? Where is the shift in power going to be at the present time? Huh. The uh, tremendous uh, developments that we made in uh, individual, private habits of study, of isolated effort, interdirection, and so on, these are likely to take the rap from media that are so inclusive of the whole of society and of, at all levels. Think of the tremendous shift in political power that is going on at this moment through the uh, use of television and politics. Well, now, that I really wonder about that. I have, in the past 30 years, observed only one demagogue using the visual medium. That was Huey Long uh, and, and movies. I'm told that he was very good radio when he would uh, start talk and he would say friends i'm not going to say anything of importance for the next minute and a half you get on the telephone and call up a couple of friends and get them to listen okay. to the program okay. there was a very right. uh, clever demagogue while these guys go on i just want to point out i'm watching this black and white video uh and there's mcclue they're all smoking they're smoking wait mcclue's back they're smoking cigar even mcclue's smoking a cigar if he was on the tv he would have been a flop at once tv will not take a, a sharp character a hot character it's a cool medium and our politics are being cooled off to the point of rigor mortis according to my do it. why not the, the, the nature of this medium which calls for so much participation does not give you a completed package a completed image you have to make your image as you go. Therefore, if the person who comes in front of the TV camera is already a very complete and classifiable type of person, a politician, a highly obvious doctor type, lawyer type, the medium rejects him because there's nothing left for the audience to, do, to view or to, to complete. And they say, this guy's a phony. You know something wrong with this guy. I'd like to have you react to this notion that since the founding of our country, we've had the balance of power progressively go from a very small group that were voting, you know, and had property rights and so on, gradually spread to a larger and larger group. Now, how does television fit into this? We have practically uh, universal television as far as being in the homes. Well, yes, I, I, I this mean that the power more and more is flowing really to the popular group? Yes, the, 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 uh, literally, the participation of the whole population in the political process becomes very deep. And whereas it's no longer a question of assessing arguments, platforms, regional clashes, and so on, everybody is with it. Yes, all eight all eight groups. Yes, the issues are no longer given to you on single planes and single patterns. They're total. But this is a very good point about being deep. Is this actually a kind of a pseudo event? I mean, you um, think you are with reality, but really, you are having prepared for you on television 
those aspects they want you to see, which gives you appealing participation. The audience is making a new form of association among its own members. They are making a new reality. Another new art form. You don't think we're learning more things superficially? No. You don't? No, we, we, this is an age in which in, in the new criticism or, or psychology or anything else, every, the word used in all these forms is depth. It's yes, I know. in depth, psychology but, in depth, everything now. But these, these, are the, these are the relatively few experts and outsiders. No, 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 no. no Your no. imputation now is, it seems to be the opposite of what you were saying a few minutes ago. And uh, I'm not trying to trap you, Marshall. I'm trying to find out. <laughs> oh, I, uh, I'm not trying to trap you, Marshall. No, yeah. What did that guy just say? I'm not trying to trap you. Hold on. Rewinding, rewinding. We're rewinding this. I'm not trying to trap you, Marshall. What did you say? Okay, I was talking to my dog. Hold on. Properly right. Gradually spread to a larger and larger group, Marshall. How does television fit into this? As though this guy. Practically universal television. So this guy could trap Marshall. Does this mean that the power more and more is flowing really to the popular group? Yes, liberally, the participation of the whole population in the political process becomes very deep. And where it's no longer a question of assessing arguments, platforms, regional clashes, and so on, everybody is with it. All age groups. All age groups. Yes, the issues are no longer given to you on single planes and single patterns. They are total. But this is a very good point about being deep. Is this actually a kind of a pseudo-event? I mean, you think you are with reality, but really, you are having prepared for you on television those aspects they want you to see which gives you a feeling of participation. The audience is making a new form of association among its own members. They are making a new reality. Another new art form. You don't think we're learning more things superficially? No. You don't? No, we, we, this is an age in which in, in the new criticism or, or psychology or anything else, every, the word used in all these forms is depth. It's yes, I know. in depth, psychology but, in depth, everything now. But these, is, these, are the, these are the relatively few experts and outsiders. No, 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 no. no Your no. imputation now is, it seems to be the opposite of what you were saying a few minutes ago. And uh, I'm not trying to trap you, Marshall. I'm trying to find out. Oh, I, uh, but at one point, it's my understanding that the thing we need to be troubled about by these mass media is the creation of the non-individualistic person, the man who is with it, so he's with what everyone is doing, the, uh, the use what is now the hackneyed word, the conforming person. On the other side, on the other side, you were saying that however, television can be used to convey information in depth, and the implication is it can actually be used to make people think the forms of entertainment that work best on television, whether it's Tadishevsky or the, even the, the Par Show, are ones uh, which admit of a great deal of casualness in which people I want to take a piss. Uh, introduce and back. dialogue with in dialogue. the camera at all sorts of levels of their lives. You capture them at all sorts of strange yes. and, yeah. and uh, offbeat moments of their existence. And this kind of probing and peeling off the superficial aspects of people and so on is normal to this medium. It, it is a depth medium. The, the, the moving medium is, by comparison, very much a photographic slick package medium, which gives you a very highly defined and a very uh, slick, complete package. But I still want to go back to a question I asked earlier, which is, with this feeling of being with everything, uh, isn't there still uh, the need, even more so, for the at least the intellectual, and I would think more and more everyone, 
to abstract himself from being with and have time for reflection yeah. and for becoming, uh, let's say, in, an individual Such rather a than a conformist mass man. Well, intellectuals don't necessarily require privacy. They need the stimulus of intellectual conversation. And they, they can, yeah, but you, uh, they, they, you can do a great deal of thinking in the course of a, a prolonged dialogue with, uh, with uh, able people. And, but uh, not uh, uh, dialogue with television. Uh, that is, that is uh, precisely where I'm with you. Can we, can we, can we really be thinking, uh, except the time when we stop looking? Let us, I, this is a good time, I think, to bring up a point that when any new form Awareness comes into is the, opposite the uh, of thought. foreground of things. We naturally look at it through the old uh, yes. stereo. Awareness is the opposite of thought. This is normal, and we're still trying to see how will our, our previous political and educational patterns persist under television. Uh, instead, we're, we're just trying to fit the old things into the new form, instead of asking what is the new form going to do to all the assumptions we had before. Uh, this is this is uh, not best uh, good. And we we are all uh, I think all of us here learn to read, and we never protect books, but. In the books we can read that when the book came in, it was denounced because people were being studied from books, and they said, well, how can you study from books without the authority of the teacher there? Now we say, how can you have television in the schoolroom without the authority of the book? I see that, but I'm not sure that there doesn't come a point when the, 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 the enormity, I was going to say, the vast amount of what we can get from our new media doesn't really, uh, to an extent, make it unnecessary to think deeply and may be difficult to think. There's another point I'm curious. There's another point too here. It seems to me that with television or with film, it's moving along at a continuous speed. In other words, you, you haven't any way of checking it. Now with a book, you can check it. You can go back. You've got a kind of record. Huh. And we can't assume that a person is going to get a videotape or is going to arrange to have this film rerun in the theater. So you don't get a chance to check certain of these new media. You can do it all you, with the new media. You take it as it comes along. The, um, on the other hand, the degree to which, when reading, that you are in the hands of an author, the degree to which he merely carries you along for a ride, and passively, it has uh, always been uh, uh, bypassed and not discussed by book readers. They have the illusion of being engaged in great private intellectual discovery. Actually, they're going for a ride. I begin to see you know, about the importance of whoever the individual is who's uh, in front of these media, he's got to be active in his response, which suggests something that Sally's likes to point out, that we ought to be doing something in classrooms uh, to make, uh, let's say, more discriminating consumers out of people. They don't just uh, look at this uh, instrument. I'm going to read this goddamn book. I want a race of critics. Uh, at what age I should begin, I don't know. I hate Finian's way. I think you can't begin too early. Well, I we have, uh, I think, uh, in North America, uh, education generally, we have not encouraged criticism a 16 years after. The Europeans always stress, have always stressed criticism as a, as a value in the young after 16. It's after quite 16. clear, gentlemen, we've raised a lot of questions. We're not going to answer them in one short discussion. Surely we might, it's very valuable to get these things out there for inspection, to know what are the relevant issues. Inspection, Castro. Uh, and reproof, possibly, if necessary. Huh, what a weird, what a weird documentary. A weird documentary. Now, so I was trying to get in there edgewise or edgeways. What I was trying to say, it was so interesting. It was in the University of Indiana. They were all talking. 
the, the interesting thing to me that I was trying to get in there that I didn't don't know if you heard was that all these guys it's all I'm not gonna like say like it's it seems so stupid to say like oh it's four white guys talking in academia well white guys created academia they created it they created it they built it they they built it and then suddenly when the, it it became when the whole world realized how valuable academia was these white guys that had created it there had not been any non-white guys that created academia and academia is not the most important thing as the world is unfortunately finding out by the covid-19 pandemic it's not the, it's important though it's important and so they're all white guys and they're all, well, two of them were smoked. Definitely, I think two of them, the guy that was like with the bow tie, the guy that always wanted to talk about Innes, Harold Innes, for some reason, though he couldn't seem to <laughs> locate Innes. And anyway, McLuhan explained it to him, but he was smoking. He was smoking like chain smoking, actually. The one scene you saw him bought a cigarette out and light another one immediately, which I found interesting. And the other guy that was smoking, which I found equally interesting in this video, which I'm very happy. <laughs> the other guy that was smoking was Marshall McLuhan. So the two smokers were seated next to each other. There's four chairs in a horseshoe. The two smokers were seated next to each other. And then as a camera guy, I guess you'd call it stage left or TV camera stage left, which is the right side if you're an actor. Hmm. McLuhan and the two guys, McLuhan and his cigars. And it's funny how, like, I'm thinking about how the uh, the laws of media and the, what, a, what uh, you know, I don't I can never fucking recite them. What is it, obsolete? What is it? But I, anyway, I think about them. I drink beer. I watch McLuhan episode. I've never once, I've watched so many situations. Now this was, it's funny, the same situation. I thought it was a debate. There was four chairs set up, debates. I thought it was a debate, but it was an academic discussion. But really, it, both, they're all, de they're both debates. You could see every single man was trying to get the upper hand. Every single man was trying to be intelligent. Everyone, and everyone, there were some many interesting questions offered here, but there were many things interesting that McLuhan said about dialogue. Dialogue, even if you can even like, even tone of voice, if you can hear the tone of voice, uh, the way, that Marshall McLuhan uses to diffuse things, to talk about dialogue, to talk about not having a fixed position. No fixed position. You know, that's what this that's what this podcast should be called. No fixed position. No fixed position. Apparently my mother told me on the phone this morning and me trying to be a audio slut, sneaky sleuth, 
recording everyone's secretly recording conversations, which I love to do. I did not record her tell me this morning that Trump pardoned Steve Bannon. And the puzzle becomes so clear. I don't know why I'm so bitter about the fact that nobody sees this yet. I can learn from McLuhan. I cannot be, you know, I can personally learn from McLuhan. I love the way those guys all just called him McLuhan. <laughs> they all just called him McLuhan. That's an interesting point. If you listen back to this uh, video, I'm going to put the Lincoln. I'm going to park the Lincoln, the Lincoln park, put the Lincoln park. Anyway, that's just, <clears throat> anyway. Note, I just realized another thing. I was just thinking about watching that. It's such a fascinating thing to watch. Yeah, yeah. They all just call him, they all call him McLuhan. McLuhan, hey McLuhan, ah, <laughs> watch it, check it out. Um, mm. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad that, uh, I've never heard, I've never seen him say one thing that is not totally true about the world we live in right now. And I challenge anyone to find one thing that Marshall McLuhan said that is not totally true about the world we live in right now. Anyway, God bless you. End of recording. Thank you for the script. Norman Mailer. Norman Mailer. <laughs>